Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word given to us, that we would worship you as we gather around it, as we would see your, your ways and your heart and your mind as you've written to us of these things, that we would know you better. Lord God, we thank you for the confidence and assurance it gives us in our faith. Lord God, we thank you for your spirit that has opened our eyes to the knowledge of you. Lord, we give ourselves to you right now. Pray, Lord, that your word would take an effect upon our lives. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. All right. We spend a lot of time this season getting ready, don't we? Preparing for the family time, the, the cooking the dinner and, and wrapping the presents and everything. But while a lot of what we do is, uh, much of the preparation is for the here and now, I think if there was going to be one word that I would wrap up our Christmas celebration in, it would be tradition, right? Tradition. It's a season of nostalgia, as even the things that we are doing in the here and now are generally reflections on what we grew up with, things that we've done for a long time, and then we still do them today as we look back. It's a season of, of looking back and reflecting upon what was, even as we think about the Christ, right? We look back upon his birth. But as we reboot our Christmas thinking, we, we should wrap our, our minds around the idea that Christmas is only about the past in as much as it has a present and a future impact. What, what begins at the virgin birth of Emmanuel should be having an effect currently in our own lives and will have an effect eschatologically in the future at the end times. It is not stuck in the past and traditions any more than God himself would be stuck in the past. And scripture is sure to remind us that we worship a living God who is not dead, but alive. As, as we consider these things, we need, we need to examine today who is this child? What child is this, as we just sang? That can have such an effect on everything to come. Everything that is and everything to come. And then, after we look at who is this child, how does that affect us? What, what, how does that impact our lives? Go ahead and uh, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. And I'm going to have a whole lot of scripture coming up on the screen. So if you're a note taker, be ready to write down a bunch of scriptures. Um, but Isaiah chapter 9 is where we will begin. Starting at verse 2, I'll read through verse 7. Big focus today will be on verse 6 when you get there. Pay careful attention. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, 
a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. The reading of God's word. Good. Be seated. So who is this child? From what we studied last week in, in chapter 7 of Isaiah, and from what we're going to observe in our passage today, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Absolutely right. He, he is God. And as the author of the book of Hebrews says, he is namely Jesus. We, we see verse 2 of our passage here reflected upon by the Apostle John in his gospel. Verse 2 here, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that, has made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John goes on, and in, in verse 29 of that same chapter, he clarifies that the light that he's speaking of is Jesus Christ. Matthew tells us in his gospel that verse 2, and even the verse before it that mentions Zebulun and Naphtali, these verses were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
The apostles before us saw the fulfillment of the Christ child as prophesied in the book of Isaiah. They saw that fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus himself said, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. I never like to start from a a basis of assumption, so so let's make sure. If if this is true, if, if Jesus is Emmanuel then we should see in Jesus the names, the attributes listed to him here in Isaiah verse 6. If this is a prophecy about the Messiah and he fulfills that prophecy, right? We should see in Christ a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, right? Verse 6, what does it say? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name shall be called. And we need to understand that in the Old Testament, in that Hebraic culture, names carried a lot of meaning and purpose. They they defined a person's character, a person's life. Wonderful Counselor. Emmanuel would not bring with him a mere human wisdom and thinking. His knowledge and understanding would not be constrained by living in a fallen world or finite comprehension of the things of God. He would be able to communicate that wisdom because he would be the wonderful counselor, right? He'd be able to communicate that wisdom in ways that no merely human teacher ever had. So what did the eyewitnesses have to say about Jesus? Well, when he was only 12 years old, people were astounded by him. Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they didn't find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Jesus was sitting there amongst the greatest teachers of the time. And they were amazed at his understanding and his answers when he was just 12 years old. I don't know about you, but when I was 12, I was still picking my nose. They were astonished. Not only was his wisdom amazing, in its, in its understanding and its truth and its, its knowledge of God's word. But his words came, his counsel came with power and authority as well. Luke chapter 4, verse 36, after Jesus heals a man who had a demon, they were all amazed and they, they said to one another, what is this word? What is this counsel? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus is truly not just a wise counselor. 
but the wonderful counselor as his words come with wondrous power. His words accomplish the wonderful, the miraculous. They do what only God could do. For his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. Emmanuel, being God, should be able to do the things that only God can do, right? Did Jesus ever show these attributes of deity in his life? Did Jesus ever do what only God can do? Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Some guys bring a, a paralyzed friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Here we see in this passage the Lord Jesus, first of all, knowing the hearts of men. And as King Solomon declared when he was praying to God in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 6, he says, You, speaking to God, you only, Know the hearts of the children of mankind. And in that passage of the healing of the paralytic, they didn't say those things out loud. They didn't say, who does he think he is to to forgive sins out loud? He knew they were harboring that in their hearts. Jesus doing here what only God could possibly have known, the hearts of the children of men. And then what did he do? He did what only God could do. The the answer to their, their question really being, you're right. Only God can forgive sin. And here's evidence right before your eyes that Jesus has that authority. Get up, take your mat, go home. And he did. Jesus had the attributes of deity. One of my favorite examples of Jesus' deity comes from reflecting on an Old Testament psalm and a New Testament situation. That psalm is Psalm 107. And and see if, as I read this, you, you can picture the New Testament situation. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let God be praised for his, his control over the natural created order. Clearly it is the Lord. It is the creator of the heavens and the earth that commands and controls the wind and the waves, right? We see almost verbatim this same situation in in a couple different Gospels, but here's Matthew chapter 8. When he got into the boat, this is Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. They went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obeys him? What sort of man is this? What does that put on display for us? He's mighty God in the flesh. He is the wonderful counselor. And he is the everlasting father. Is Jesus everlasting? Who was older, John the Baptist or Jesus? Think about it carefully. You're right either way in a way. (laughs) You can't get that one wrong. Well, according to Luke, John was older, right? Elizabeth got pregnant six months before Mary. So John was born before Jesus. But John said, in John chapter 1, verse 15, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. How could Jesus be before John unless he existed before John? Jesus takes it even further. In John chapter 8, he tells the Jews, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Reflecting his own eternality jesus is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he's the eternal son of god colossians 1 17 he is before all things and in him all things hold together as we read earlier in john chapter 1 he is the one through whom by whom and for whom all things that were made have been made and we are his children As the Son is an exact representation of the Father, and He and the Father are one. That's what Jesus says. John 14, 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He is our Father inasmuch as the people are considered to be children of their King. The child, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, is a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God everlasting father and he is the prince of peace we look around us in our world today and we look at our nation and we say i peace i see no peace all i see is division all around us look at our government look at our people 
the riots that have happened. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now and eschatologically speaking, presently and in the future. In the here and now, his death on the cross brings an, a, a peace unsurpassable to those who have accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior. He reconciles us to our holy and perfect creator through his blood shed in our place for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 reminds us that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Not we will have peace or, or we may or might have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have peace. We have been reconciled to God the Father. And in the future, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, it tells us that the earth will be made new and Jesus Christ will be its king. He will establish his eternal kingdom of peace on earth. It says, Then I saw... A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, reflecting on his everlasting fatherhood of his people. Who is this child? He's Emmanuel, God with us, 100% God, 100% man, brought together in one person. He is the wonderful counselor, as his wisdom is beyond that of finite man, and it came with power and the ability to work wonders. Not just wise, but wonderful. He's mighty God as he displays in himself, his person and works, the attributes of God. He is the everlasting father as he reconciles us to God, assuaging his wrath toward our sins through his sacrifice on the cross in our place. And he will establish his kingdom of peace on this earth forever. The government shall be upon his shoulders and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. He is Jesus. That's who this child is. So how does this knowledge, how does the, how does the knowledge of these things uh, apply to us? Does such an understanding of who 
Jesus is, this child, have a real effect on who we are and, and how we live and where we go and what we do with ourselves? Do we realize the, the past, the present, and the future significance of his birth? Look with me one more time at verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. They have kind of a past, present, and future aspect to this. For, for to us a child is born. We look back and we celebrate what God has done at this season, don't we? God's prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. But we shouldn't stop there. Just, just looking back at the manger and the animals and the wise men and all that. We shouldn't just look back, but our, cel- our, our Christmas celebration shouldn't just simply be celebrating the traditions or, or getting st- stuck in the nostalgia, but let, let's allow the wonder of our Savior, who he is and what he's done, to have a present effect on who we are and what we do. It says, for to us a son is given. He's given that we might be reconciled. In the present, in the now, we are reconciled to God, aren't we? That we should have eternal life instead of being separated forever from God in eternal hell. We've been given this knowledge with a purpose. There are several verses that say, uh, that talk about our call with a purpose. We've been saved with a purpose. We have this comprehension and relationship with God so that we might be a kingdom people now, here, where we are, called with a purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've been going through that, right? We are called to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. What what do we call that? We call that the Great Commission, right? We've been told to go and share the gospel, making disciples from all the nations. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we've been made a royal priesthood that we may proclaim Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we haven't gotten the idea yet, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave to you and me, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What good will it do the world? What good will it do a lost people if we start sharing Christ after we've died? After, after God has made things new and established his peace, his kingdom here on earth. What good will it do them if we sit on our salvation until then? We're content, right? We have eternal life. We don't need to worry anymore. 
right? Are we imploring our soil, our sphere of influenced lives, to be reconciled to God, just as Paul does to us? Salting our conversation with Christ and the gospel, making it tasty, bringing up Christ in in wonderful and appropriate ways in the middle of conversation. Are, Are we taking advantage of this time of year? We've got Christmas. The whole world celebrates Christmas. They might be in denial, but they still go to the same sales, right? They still have all the decorations up. Take advantage of it. This is one of those times of year that you might be able to get somebody to come out to church, actually. There's a few more services coming up that we can, we can do this with. We have tonight the musical. Come on out. Come with me. Go, go home. Go to your neighbor. Say, we're, doing, we're having a musical tonight. I tell you what, it's going to be fantastic from what I heard this morning. And, and I got to hear it all yesterday, too. And it's, it's going to be great. Bring them out. At least you've seed planted, even if they refuse, right? The 23rd, next Sunday, all church breakfast. Bring them out. Even if you didn't fill out a card and they're like, okay, I didn't say I was going to bring people. Bring them. They need Jesus. Let's feed them the, the bread of life. If they need food, I'll give them my share. They can have it. I'll go home and eat later. Bring them. The 24th, Christmas Eve. You can get most people to come out to a a Christmas Eve service. Let's take advantage of these things. A child is born. And he's given in our place at the cross. That we would be in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 people here and now. And the government will be upon his shoulders. The day is coming. When he returns, he will establish his eternal kingdom of of peace. And as we recognize the eschatological impact of the birth of this child, as we press forward to that day, we need to remember that it will be a day of blessing, but it will be a day of judgment. May that add a sense of urgency to what we do in the here and now. If that day comes, it's all over. Opportunity gone. Opportunity for them and opportunity for us, huh? It's it's like the the original text uh, of that popular Christmas song said, uh, the one one I sang for the family music night, uh, have yourself a blessed little Christmas, right? The original text of that song, what did it say? It said, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. That's true. If this was my last Christmas, my last opportunity to reach the lost, what would I do with it? If I knew this was it, this coming weekend, this coming Christmas Eve, that's it. That's all I've got. Do I have eyes for those who need Jesus? Do I have a heart for them? That is Christmas rebooted. That is Christmas brought back to its roots and its original purpose. Jesus came to save the lost. Not for our tinsel. Right? Jesus came to save the lost. Does does our knowledge of who this child is, who Jesus is, what he's done in the past, and what he will do in the future, does it have an impact on our lives this Christmas?
Let's be a people. Let's be a spirit-filled people with hearts and eyes for everybody out there that builds up one another to maturity in Christ and takes the gospel out to our community where people can hear it. Bring them in. Do we have any more of those little cards for tonight? Are they, are they still out in the... There's a few? Everybody rush the table, okay? Rush the table, get those few cards, and give them to people. Take them to people so that you can bring them tonight. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us words that are not our own, and you'd give us wisdom that is not our own. We praise you that you are a God who responds, who tells us in your word that if we ask for wisdom, if we want to live for you, if we want to seek your wisdom and do the things of God, you will, you will tell us. You will give us wisdom. I pray, Lord, you give us a strength that isn't our own, that we would open our mouths at times when we're, we're just unsure or uncomfortable, but, Lord, you give us words and, and strength to speak those words. Lord, help us to be a people of your word, a people of your gospel. Give us opportunities we don't expect to even get in touch with our neighbors and friends today. Lord God, we pray that this church would be your church, this people would be your people. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.